Welcome, it's Jeremy Allen Gould. I'm coming to you today to confirm between God and of man that in fact, the rumors that you have all heard are true. I started this podcast because I freaking love music. I was privileged enough to book amazing artists and bands in the past, and I was lucky enough to stay in touch with many of them to this day. This is a place to hear their stories. Thank you so much for riding along on this journey, and I hope you enjoy what you hear. With that said, the rumors are definitely true. Thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of the Rumors Are True podcast. My name is Jeremy, and today I welcome Chris Bowden. You know Chris from the band Focused, The Mer Babies, Other Desert Cities, and his newest project, Cussing. Chris and I have an awesome, awesome conversation about life, his uh, foray into music, his photography, just a lot of introspective talk about his life in general. Uh, I really hope you enjoy this latest episode as much as I did. Um, again, thank you uh, for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this latest episode with Chris Bowden. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for coming on my podcast. I, I really appreciate your time, man. You got it. So tell me, what are you up to nowadays? I mean, I know you've got a, we've got a lot to talk about, but just what's going on in your life currently? Wow, that's a big question. Um, and I'll give you a kind of a big answer, maybe. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a professional photographer and videographer. I fell in love with photography in the, in the darkroom in the mid-90s. Um, and I was working for a company for about almost six years as their photo and video coordinator and shot all their product and uh, as this corporate gig. Um, and it was a, you know, a good salary and health benefits and all that. When the pandemic hit, um, this company really kind of, their true colors kind of came up, you know, and you kind of realize who's calling the shots in the corporate world. And, you know, it was this company and then another company on them and then an, another company on them. And then even bigger, there was a lot of investors. Mm-hmm. And so up the chain, it went with, you know, at the end of the day, you realize you're just kind of a data point. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah. um, let's see it, this last November, my father passed away. Mm, uh, I'm um, sorry. Uh, thanks. Um, uh, November 1st, um, and he had had Parkinson's. And so it was a long, um, process, but at the same time, 
about 10 years ago, him and I did a lot of repair work and, uh, I'm going to go in a little divergent here cause I think it's important to, sure. to tell that it relates to where I'm at now. Um, yeah, about 10 years ago, um, I don't know, a couple years after I moved up to Seattle from Southern California, uh, which is, this is probably 2006, um, all the stuff that, and all the anger and all the shaking my fist stuff that I wanted to say to my dad, I did say to him mm-hmm. and stopped talking to my parents for about a year just because I was working out my own stuff. And I started writing my dad letters, you know, um, because you know the father wound can be a large one sure and so it was a lot of like i didn't like when he did this he treated me this and this and this and that and just let it all out and thank goodness he was really open and receptive to it and for about a year we started writing letters back and forth and so we really did a lot of work in our relationship and it changed and you know at the time i was in therapy and which I'm a big proponent of sure. and, uh, and just really healed a lot of, a lot of stuff. And, you know, all the stuff that I wanted to say to my dad, I said, and, and, and he was open and receptive and, um, and he wanted that relationship. So for the next 10 years, our relationship was amazing. And, you know, I, I would tell him I loved him and we would talk about really like everything you know, about what's going on. And, and that's kind of how I've, what I've grown into is really talking about real stuff and being authentic and yeah. going to places. And, and so anyway, so by the time he, you know, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's and had that for like 10 years, then fell and broke his hip. And then, um, was bedridden. And so him and my mom were in the house for a while. And then, uh, they moved, my siblings moved them into a um, like living facility where they had their own place. Yeah. And so he was there for like less than 48 hours and then he passed away. Wow. So my mom was just like, what the fuck? Like, where am I? She was like out of her house. She just lost her husband. She was in a new part of town and she was in just major trauma. And so I went down to visit her for a week came back um, to my job and a couple of days later they called me in and said, Hey, this is your last day. Oh my, when it rains, it pours, man. That's yeah, awesome. Exactly. And I was just like, wow. Mm. Uh, they, and, and they gave me like two weeks of health insurance for me and my girls. And I was just like, wow. Right before yeah. thing. So it was a mess. I was a mess. It was a mess. You know, went to my dad's funeral in December and caught COVID finally. And after that, and so filed for unemployment. Um, and so currently I'm on unemployment, um, taking this opportunity to enjoy the summer with my girls. That's cool. Uh, it's been a blast. Um, but I am, you know, doing a, uh, a photo video project where I'm anonymous and it's, um, I'll say that it's has to do with the streets of Seattle. And so that's been really cool. Um, and I'm really hoping that that will take off and we'll figure something out and how I can pay my bills to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's really cool. So um, 
answer. There it is. That's yeah, right. no, no, that's great. That's that's <laughs> I, I, again. I'm sorry for your loss, but what a, a eloquent way to say you know how the last couple of years have um, impacted you. But it's you know kind of I love that you got to mend mend the fences. You know, at the end, that's really cool and beautiful. I'm I'm happy for you. Yeah, you know, there's a you know when someone passes away, there's always a gift of what am I doing here? This existential, what am I doing with my time? How am I spending it? What's going on? Cause it's so limited, right? It's just like, yeah. we're so, it's such a blip. And so, you know, that, that propelled me into, man, I cannot keep using my talents to make the rich richer and yeah. watch profits go up. And, you know, I just need to connect, do something to connect people, help the earth and my talents, something, more than the 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 guys at the top yeah i get it i get it that's cool um let's talk about um i know you you mentioned your your parents um growing up for you influential music wise let's talk about how kind of music came into your life and maybe even how photography i know you said it was a little bit later but i I, obviously the artisticness in you kind of influenced you at at an age let's talk about um maybe some uh, things that you growing up influenced you into the and the world of music and, and photos. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it comes back to my dad. He played piano, and you know, I have three other siblings, and so he had us in sports, and then we did different, um, you know, instruments. My sister, older sister, played the flute. My brother played the trumpet. My younger sister, she played the piano a little bit, and I played the piano. So I, you know, forced lessons for two years. <laughs> I think I was probably in fourth and fifth grade or fifth and sixth grade, but learned how to read some music and I hated it, you know, practicing. <laughs> of course, I wanted to be outside and save here. <laughs> you know, just I hated it. But at the time I hated it, but I realized, you know, later on that it just opened this part of my mind that was, um, it just opened this part of my mind, which with rhythm, with melody, with because you're using your hands and your feet, all hands and all feet with piano. And I thought and later on, I was like, that was probably the best thing my parents could have done for me is to make me p- play piano lessons for a couple of years. Yeah, because uh, I took that later on and translated to guitar and drums and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, my dad would play piano. I played piano a little bit. Um, then you know i have the older cousins that you know hand handed me pink floyd the wall when i was in around the same time and that just blew my mind <laughs> <laughs> i bet i bet and this is you know that came out in like 82 or something like that so um pretty young you know and then later on i grew up skating so that was my thing in in middle school and uh in high school and i wore gigantic baggy pants and all that stuff. Same here. Um, and then you meet people who also skate, and they introduce you to music, and and you know, and then I started dabbling in punk rock and or and Dead Kennedys and Circle Jerks and kind of, you know, you move through these genres, I guess, but still at the same time, like discovered Led Zeppelin and was like, what is this? And yeah, um, and in and in high school, ninth grade, I was. I had already started playing drums. I switched to drums and started taking drum lessons. So I was in jazz band. And so not that I was into jazz, but again, you meet more people. And then Zeppelin, that's when Zeppelin kind of came in to my world. And um, 
in the skating scene. Um, that's when like Dinosaur Jr. I heard about Dinosaur Jr., which I'm still a gigantic yeah. fan of. Great fans. <laughs> so, Great um, and yeah, and the, so all those things are melding together of Dinosaur and um, Dead Kennedys and Led Zeppelin. And then my friend, or Andrew, who I was in focus with, we were we were friends, you know, before the band and skated and stuff. And he took me, introduced me to like, hardcore straight edge hardcore and you know it, it was kind of at the beginning of you know of that transition so it was like post-punk and it was just transitioning into hardcore and so he took me to my first show with some other folks in long beach at this uh club called toe jam and um it was wild man like i'd never been to anything like that of just all the teen angst and all the oh, yeah. emotion and loudness and yelling and screaming and just people, you know, uh, quote unquote dancing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just, uh, I, I like opened my eyes to like, whoa, this is really something. This is who was, like. Who was playing that show? Uh, there's, oh, I don't know the show, but there are several, uh, I don't know the first show, but you know, like this band Mission Impossible played there course of disapproval inside out played there nice there and uh gosh i don't remember game face it was just awesome southern california swirling around and this was in long beach so you know after toe jam closed there wasn't really any spaces in long beach you had to drive to claremont um we'd drive everywhere you know i'd lie to my parents and say hey mom i'm going over here and you know, we'd be gone for show and be in a van full of teenagers with our skateboards. And it was a blast. That's awesome. Fun. And we'd see, uh, gosh, man, I don't remember the bands, a lot of the bands, Downcast and Santa Cruz and or Santa Barbara and go to Claremont. Um, we saw uh, Rage Against the Machines, like first show, one of their first shows. Wow. Or they, they had a demo of a cassette tape and I remember my my buddy Phil got it, and in the cassette tape there was like a match or a match like taped to the cassette tape. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's hilarious. Um, so you described that going to that show. Um, do you feel at that time that you were like, hey, I kind of want to do this? Or is this something that like uh, looking back, where you like, was that kind of just the beginning for you to your musical journey, maybe at, at some point? Um. Well, I mean, even in high school, I started playing drums with uh, my buddy Matt. Um, Matt he, he did Havelina. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was friends with his, went to school with his younger sister. And so, and I met the whole family and stuff. And he was doing, you know, kind of like a, it was at the, you know, the beginning of the 90s, like uh, that kind of funk ska thing was like happening. No doubt was like bubbling up and you know jane's addiction was big so he had a band and then i started playing drums with his band so that was kind of the first maybe official band i was in um which i was terrible at drums then but whatever um and then uh had always and that started this like you know you, once you're in a band you go to this band to this band and you sure going into and even I, i'm still going like in a band 
<laughs> which started 30 years ago, which is great. Um, uh, let's see. So what was your question? Oh, well, I was just asking if that show had influenced you, but either way, it sounds like it obviously did. Um, and you mentioned uh, Matt, which I was going to bring up later at some point, but let's talk about you said Andrew from Focused kind of mm. was your friend and we're hanging out. Is that kind of obviously how you joined Focused? And maybe let's talk about how that kind of happened and then we could talk about uh, the record after that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, again, we were we in this skate culture, you meet people. And so he he was part of that. And and um, and he went to school with Dirk and Mikey. And so we all were friends and, you know, listen to music, skated, whatever we did. Um, and they knew that I played drums and I played in this drum or a band called Emission with some other people. And so, and even Dirk and Andrew and I and Mikey, we, um, gosh, I'm going to forget the name of the band, but we started a band that wasn't like hardcore um, and had maybe two or three songs. And so wow. we're already like doing something together. Sure. Uh, and then you know, one by one, I think, I don't know if it Dirk joined first or Mikey joined focused first. I'm not sure, but one of them joined focused. Um, and then the other, and I don't know how they knew, uh, maybe Tim or those other guys or the old members of focused, but, um, either way, one by one, they joined focus and then Andrew joined focused. And so, you know, it's like Tim, Dirk, Mikey, and Andrew, and then their drummer, Al. And so I don't remember, I think maybe Al quit or they kicked him out, but I don't know that story. Um, and then, so it was kind of a natural, like, oh, well, we skate with Chris and Chris plays drums and why don't we try him out? And, you know, when I went to that show at Toe Jam for the next two or three years, like I was like hardcore straight edge wearing X's. Yeah doing that whole thing um and so it was kind of a natural like oh this makes sense and then so you know i list like the the drumming in that band's not like rocket science so i was like oh, i could do this because <laughs> i never considered myself like a, a real like i'd see people who play drums and i'd just be like that's a drummer like i could yeah. like do it but there's like people that are just at a next level that you know that we've all kind of seen of like oh that's that person's on on they're on the game so yeah but yeah and then that's how i joined focused and and it was great you know um i think we maybe one of the first shows we went up to concord california and played with wish for eden that's cool and it was just right after kurt cobain committed suicide too and Rob from Wish Freedom is a huge Nirvana fan. And I bring this up because what sticks out is during that show, you know, of course, the Kurt Cobain jokes were like started to come out. Mm. And someone shoved the mic in my face and was like, tell that joke. And I was just like, ugh. <laughs> so I feel, I feel really bad about about that still. It sticks with me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's talk about the hope that lies within record. Um, you know, you said you, you know, felt like you didn't bring too much to the table, but it sounds like you did. It definitely was a departure from bow in my opinion. Um, just more eclectic, but let's talk about that record. 
a little bit, maybe some of your thoughts and your memories from that time um, recording that record. And you know, I saw that you had a, a, a writing credit in there, so obviously you, know, you put your mark on, on some songs. So uh, let's talk about that record. Yeah, so I was, again, playing piano, drums, and then in the back of my closet there was like, oh, what is this guitar? And so, you know, picked up the guitar and started trying to learn guitar or learn the guitar. And Andrew taught me a lot of stuff. And I just would watch people like every time I'd see someone play, I'd be like, what are their fingers doing? Oh, that's cool. And like, you know, you just learn. Um, and so, you know, again, Andrew and um, Dirk and Mikey, they at their roots, I think maybe are more punk rock than hardcore and but you know it's like focused we still have that kind of that was that was um you know dark and heavy and we still played that but when andrew came in the band he brought this other flavor of kind of ah man i hate to use the word emo yeah i get it different different angle and so it wasn't as dark as the first album um and and uh and so, um, you know, we're writing songs and then of course I'm like writing stuff too and little bits and pieces of songs. And so, um, you know, everyone brings kind of like, oh, I got this part, but I don't know the next part. And I'm like, Oh, Hey Mikey, let me see your guitar. What about this? And so, yeah. and so it's you know, that collaboration of, and stuff. And so that's where that credit came in of like bits and pieces of songs, not whole songs, but like little, sure arts and stuff um and you know it's like recording music with your friends that you skated with and goofed around with and it's just a blast that's cool i don't remember the recording process itself (laughs) (laughs) but i know it's fun what um when you heard the record finally when it was done what were your thoughts i mean that was that the first time you'd been in the studio obviously um Mm. and like Kind of what were your thoughts on it? I know you said you can't really remember the recording process, but there had to be that moment where you, when you finally heard your work um, on the record, and I'm just curious what you thought about it. Well, I mean, before I answer that, what I do remember is being, you, you're under the microscope when you're recording. So you got to, you know, you, you're mic'd up, you know, people are looking at you, you got headphones on, and um, you got to play it, quote unquote, like perfect. So that was nerve wracking. I don't know if it was that was maybe the first time in the studio, probably. Um, yeah, but when it's all said and done, and you hear a rough mix, you're like, and it all comes together, and you that it's just like, oh, that sounds like because all you're referencing is practice, right? Yeah, and just loud sound, just it's just everywhere a wash almost. But when you hear the recording, you're like, oh, I can hear the details and the tones of the guitars and these parts and they're panned and like, Oh, that's amazing. It's great. Um, there's compression and like all these, you know, things to make your ears go, Oh, this sounds digestible. (laughs) (laughs) No, I get it. I get it. Um, so the record comes out, um, you guys hit the road pretty quickly. I, I know, I, I know I saw you guys at one point, um in i don't know if it's probably 94 maybe 93 something like that it's probably 94 i think now that i think about it um yeah so how was the touring what was the touring like um do you remember anything from that time at all yeah so um we went out on a 40 day 40 night oh i remember that yes i mean 
that's a long time. <laughs> and so my parents, we I, again, I have uh, three other siblings, and so we had this big van. And so um, Dave Bonson was the tour man- manager, and so he, uh, you know, we like worked it out with my parents where they re- rented it or something, and then got a trailer, and then we went out with. Um, Man, that first tour was like um, Chatterbox, um, Focused, un- Unashamed. And there was just, and maybe another car of people. And so there's just like a caravan of cars. And so wow. we just hit the road. And our first show was Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Oh, wow. The warehouse. The warehouse. Yeah, I've been there. I think it was probably with Mr. Bishop's Fist. Oh, Jonathan. <laughs> with Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan's old band. And that drives like two days right through the night i think we left like after dinner and just like it, it was gnarly I bet. but at the same time you know we're all in our 20s and we can handle it and stuff like that but it was just this amazing adventure and i'm so grateful again my parents were like yeah like go for it like do your thing um and you know playing music with your friends and buying fireworks and just again imagine of you know four cars of young 20 somethings and just uh chaos just chaos <laughs> that would come with that it was just so fun and you'd meet so many people and you know it's just a blast i mean what i'm again so glad my parents um they didn't like i was over 18 or maybe 19 but they didn't not that they let me but they like supported that that's cool that's really cool and and this was like before cell phones and everything so i remember writing postcards home and yeah that's how i'd check in and of course i'd call them and say i'm okay and stuff but um yeah it was amazing just again for six weeks just being out there it was that's nuts crazy did you do uh the run with when uh when focus did a run with bloodshed did you do that yeah, that was the, the second tour. Yeah, I was. I saw. That's a tour I saw. I saw. In a, I went to. It was a festival called Alterna Fest in Ohio, mm-hmm. and it was you guys played original Zayo before, like with Eric as a singer, and then uh, Six Feet Deep. It was like a big old like Sixpence Four? played Prayer Chain Starflyer like that whole thing. Oh, nice. Was it outdoors? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. Like, if it's that same show, I do remember meeting Jesse. Um, who played drums for yeah. Zay. I don't know yeah. if he still plays drums, but I remember talking with him and it was, yeah, it was, it was funny. He had a really nice, beautiful blonde mullet. <laughs> <laughs> He's ahead of the game. <laughs> but but back to the first tour, the first tour, yes, was in 94 because we called it like Hardcore 94. Yeah, that's really awesome. And then, you know, the ultimate kind of peak was Cornerstone, which sure. I'm sure you've been to and lots yeah. of people to and in super fun right and so um at that time though you know when i was in that band i was already kind of getting out i was out of hardcore music and like you know um again dinosaur jr and sebado and like mm-hmm. all those bands i was kind of like that was my transition whatever you call it you just change evolve sure absolutely and i was going to ask you um did you wind up just leaving focus and then or did you guys wind up breaking up? How did, how did that happen? Yeah, so we did another tour, I think, 95 with Bloodshed, which was super fun. Um, and then 
when we came back, we think we did like a couple did more shows, and then I don't know why we broke up, to be honest, but I know we kind of played the last show at this church. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I think maybe we were just kind of like, again, wanted to go our separate ways and do our separate things with music, which is fine. Um, yeah, we played a last show, I think, in 96. And then that was it. And yeah, it was just... Into the sunset. Yeah, I guess. Into the sunset. And, you know, I think it, it was, for me personally, I was just kind of like done playing loud hardcore music I was just like this is not me and yeah it was fun when I did and it was amazing and fun when the energy of playing that music and kids flying and it's it's that's fun but uh I was just kind of like I think I want to do other types of music and also by that time I was transitioning to like I want to write songs on guitar more songs on guitar and move from drums to guitar and and uh and do that so yeah well you brought me to my next point the merbabies um obviously when you saying you know dinosaur jr sebado i can totally hear those influences in those records so let's talk about how the merbabies started and and how jackson rubio kind of came in to that which i'm assuming with matt being involved i know that where that's going but uh maybe just tell me how merbabies started and, and how that uh just kind of went on yeah so i think at the time i was going to a church and had met this my buddy lynn who played drums in that band and then he knew somebody who played bass and i thought you know it's i was such a copycat you know which is fine it's just part of my growth and people's growth is to emulate what they love sure and so i you know again love dinosaur and they're a three-piece and and so um yeah i had these songs and then we just started practicing and we practiced in matt's Matt's a good friend of mine, so he had a studio. Um, it's called Tacky Land that he records in, and and uh, and in his in his house and his back house. And so we practiced there, and um, and evolved. And then Matt started Jackson Rubio, so it's kind of a like no brainer to sure. to go. Oh yeah, sure, why not? Um, at the same time, like you know, Velvet Blue is there as well. Oh, nice. Jeff's Jeff was like he wanted to put something out and I think it was more of a relational thing of like I, well I just know Matt so I'm gonna go with him but of course you know Velvet Blue's still around and Jackson Rubio's <laughs> on. So. that's hilarious um let's uh let's talk about well so when you started the band did you um play some shows before you recorded the record or was it kind of just getting your feet wet with it uh how did that go Yes. Well, yeah, we, we did play a couple shows. Um, it's all foggy to be honest, you know, that's, that was like in 97, 90, around 97. So it was a little while ago, but, uh, and we did go on tour, you know, we went on, uh, I think two tours and played Cornerstone. Who'd you go out with? Nobody. Just yourselves. <laughs> that's it was terrible. I bet. It was playing like youth groups and and this whole circuit was still, um, you know, whatever the quote unquote Christian music scene was still evolving. And um, when I was in focus, yeah, I think it was Tooth and Nails second release. Yeah, I, don't, I think, I think so. Wish for Eden might have been the first one. Yeah. And then focused. 
Um, and also too, I need to mention like, you know, when I heard Starflyer 59 Ugh. for the first time, mind blowing. I was just like, yes, like, yeah. like hell yes. And yes. I do remember it was funny distinctly. I think we're, this was really early days. Um, where we were at Brandon Evil's, I think, apartment, and Jason Martin was there, and we were just hanging out, and like I didn't really know him, and et cetera, et cetera. And I was like playing these dinosaur songs on guitar, and he was just like, "Dude, what are you? You're playing dinosaur songs? What's going on with that?" And that's it was just, sick. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. That so that band, that band, I'm, I love his record. Unbelievable. Music. Always yeah. been. Every record they put out. Yeah, top notch. Still, I'm still buying their records today. So absolutely, same here. Good job, Mr. Martin. All right, um, uh, let's talk. No, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you saying? Sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to. I was going to ask you what your question was. Oh, I was. Well, I was asking about how the the band started, and so you kind of uh, told me how that happened. So let's talk about the self-titled record, uh, just a little bit. I know again, it's been foggy, a long time ago, but maybe some thoughts and memories from that time uh putting that record out and uh you know obviously you are heading the band now so uh, how is that different from obviously just being a player um yeah i think that was something that i'll answer the second part of that question um i don't know i'm not a singer and so i'm more of a guitar player and i try to sing but um i think just the 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 element of like having one guitar and going these this is the kind of bulk of the distortion and all that stuff and then just bass and drums it just was so simple and made things sound kind of cleaner or tighter i should say than like having another guitar and a guitar and a piano player or organ player whatever it's just like it's tighter and it's just also too just that's where i was at in my um at the age I was and at, with my music, but um, we recorded at, you know, with Matt in that studio. And I just remember, you know, it's like my songs were all over the place. I had like a surf song um, part. And then, you know, again, I was just trying to copy Dinosaur Genius. So, and that's what kind of came out. Um, and it was fun, it was great. And that's, you know, I think Matt recorded it on um, ADAT, <laughs> not even reel to reel or anything. or, And it sounded terrible, but that's wow. okay. That's okay. So were you proud of that? I mean, I know you it probably obviously didn't sound the way you wanted to, but how, how did you feel when that when that record was done? Yeah, I mean, it's just super cool to kind of hear your songs again, like, you know, like there's in a different way than practice or a boombox or whatever. It's like everything's separated and distinct and you can put reverb or do fun things and mess around a little bit. But yeah, I'm proud of the, that stuff. And I think it's just kind of a marker in my life of where I was at and how old I was and what I was doing. And it's, you know, kind of, that's the beauty of recording. It's kind of like this historic, like timestamp. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> so how long after that record? I mean, obviously you, you toured a little bit. You said were you kind of was that was music full time at that point, or was it just kind of like working a job and then touring when you can, writing a record when you can? Oh yeah, music's never been full time. <laughs> <laughs> just a passion project. Yeah, well, I mean, my guess is for the majority. Yeah. Of 
not my guess. I know for the majority <laughs> of musicians, it is not full time. Sure. sure. For, for a musician to go full time nowadays, it's just absurd. Crazy. Yeah. Maybe then it was a little bit easier, but um, yeah, definitely working, doing, I don't know what I was doing, but um, I, I, you know, it's such an outlet for me. Music's always been a place for me to speak and, and uh, put things into words or poetry or melodies that is just different than speak than this conversation. Yeah. And I think that's why people love music because it says something to them that they can't really articulate or and it you feel something that you can't really articulate. It's just a, you know, that universal language that like is like, oh, this, you know, you see certain musicians and you're like, you get it and it hits you, um, yeah. which is a beautiful thing. But yeah, I'm proud of those records and, and glad I did that. And I mean, there's an element too of like lots of people sit in their bedrooms and write songs and don't do never, anything. Never, yep. And I had so, just had somebody say that on the last podcast episode. It's like, you know, what my opportunity to do something and put it out. Like, why not? Yeah. It's risky, but it's like, fuck, like life's too short not to do. Just like get out there and do it. And, and I wasn't in that mindset at the time. It's just kind of like moving, but it was like, I'm really glad that I did. Yeah. Cause if I didn't it'd be like, Oh man. Yeah. We had, had this band one time and we had 10 songs or whatever. And none of i don't know that doesn't exist or yeah the songs are gone and whatever so yeah um let's talk about the indio record real quick just uh, briefly on that and then in the end of the band what what kind of brought that on uh let's yeah just maybe uh go into that um i don't remember indio <laughs> <laughs> i do remember taking the photograph of those burnt joshua trees which um on infrared film so I was definitely still doing photography. Yeah, I'd have to break that out. I, uh, my my guess is we did do it at Matt's studio when he recorded it. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you love that record better than the first one? Uh, I think yeah. I think it was you know we were evolved a little bit more and sure. finding our sound and stuff like that. Um, and the, yeah, just cleaner recording and stuff like that. So. Yeah, it was fun, but I also remember being like not as prepared for mm. like writing lyrics in the studio, which is a wow. terrible idea. Yeah, and a couple songs. So um, that's kind of a wash. I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So is that kind of once you put that record out, where you just kind of did the band just dissolve essentially, or were you just kind of over it, or how did that happen? Yeah, I don't remember. I don't. I, I think I just remember a, similar to like, you know, this is not fun anymore. Yeah, no, I get that. And what am I, what, why are we playing music if it's not fun? Yeah. Like, that's the point. And so it's like time to do a last show and that's it. Did you take a break from music after that for a little bit Is uh, before you started other desert cities? Um, yeah. I don't, um, let's see. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, I've only taken one true break from music and like didn't write songs when I was in a, a long-term relationship that was 
not good for me. Oh, I've been there. And so, and so um, but yeah, I think I've always been writing songs because again, it's a way to get stuff out and express stuff. And so my guess is the next batch of songs. And I think like too, you know, I met some people from in uh, Chicago and they introduced me to uh, Wilco. And I love Wilco. And I started getting like Neil Young and, you know, someone introduced me to Bob Dylan a while ago, but then it hits you differently as you get older. You're sure. like, oh, shit, what is this? And so, you know, and I heard like uh, Wilco's double album and I was just like, whoa, this is like this twang. And Dinosaur Jr. always had like some twang in it. Yeah. Well. And so I just was like, you know, I'm going to go this route and start playing acoustic guitar and trying to, I think it probably was like emulate Wilco now <laughs> and shift gears and just kind of, or not emulate, but just they influence, you know, different Absolutely. influence you yeah. and you'll never be them. You know, the, I'm influenced by the Beatles, but I'm not like trying to play Beatles songs or be like them. It's like, um, just influential, influential, heavily influential. And so I was like, hell yeah. Like I'm going to start this kind of folky country band, alt country band. And so similarly, I was going to a church in Long Beach and then, um, Adam Ferry who played in Plank Eye oh, yeah. drums there. And I was like, dude, let's, I have this thing. So he played drums on, uh, on the first album. Um, and then kind of got a, bass player to do some great bass lines. Um, Eric Balmer, who was also in Plank Guy, his wife, Beth, is an incredible musician. So she played wow. on the, that album, too, on the first album. And it was great. You know, it's That's like fun songs and, you know, different. And, again, experimenting with this is what's coming out right now. So I'm going to take the risk and record it <laughs> yeah and velvet blue obviously was involved this time and yes. so uh did you hit jeff up or did he hit you up um it's always a handshake deal with jeff i think we went to coffee or got a drink and we just were like you want to do this kind of thing i was like sure why not and i think jackson rubio was maybe done i'm not sure so but if anyone's kind of like hey i'd like to record you yeah <laughs> That time in life, I'm not going to be like, no, sorry, I have another offer. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. And just like, he, you know, he's super cool and really nice and mellow. And um, unfortunately, I kind of, you know, burned the bridge a little bit because of uh, I moved up to Seattle and one of our songs from that record was on like Boston Legal. And so um, I had a friend who was like a editor. And so he got us a, a song on Boston Legal, the song Walk With Me. And then, you know, Boston Legal, like cut, cut this check and like half of it went to Jeff and half of it went to me. And I was just dumb and young at the time and was just like, that's not right. I deserve more money. <laughs> oh, gosh. And, and Jeff and I, we've worked it out since then, but I feel bad. Well. That's, I mean, at least you feel bad as opposed to not feeling bad. You know, that's, you know, we all make mistakes at, at a young age. Yeah, it was just, and whatever I was going through in life, I was just sure have the tools to express what I need. No, I get it.
I get it. Well, let's uh, let's uh, briefly discuss uh, on the verge of collapsing the record. Uh, obviously, you said a song went on Boston Legal, which is really cool. But like, maybe think about uh, some memories from that time on, on that record. Did you any anything um, strike your fancy for that? Yeah, that that record. Uh, you know, I was trying to think of a like what would be a cool story, front to back story. Story, I don't know what you'd call it, just like a, a theme, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then I read in the papers about, um, I don't know what I read, somebody about their sp- someone's spouse dying in this like tragic way. And so I was like, oh man, what would that be like to write a record that's like kind of that process of like going, like hearing about your spouse dying and then kind of moving through that. And so that was the thread, the idea. Uh. and so that's how i wrote it and during that time like my marriage was crumbling Uh. it's it's like this weird oh i'm writing this record about my own marriage dying and (laughs) crumbling away and so um yeah it was a weird i mean again that's it just came out at the time i don't know that's what happened and um i'm i i like a lot of the songs on that record it was fun to play with like you know we did that on tape and men's songs into other songs and just make I'm, I'm a huge fan of like ambient just weird like pink floyd does a lot of, of course ambient background stuff and so that was super fun to play with that stuff i bet i bet um did you tour at all with that at all or was it just shows here and there or yeah just yeah shows here and there no tours yeah, yeah. You know, as people get older, they get married, have kids, and sure, sure, same here. <laughs> <laughs> Marriages that fail, you know that thing. And you know, again, uh, I look at that as like everyone has long-term relationships. Sure. That was a long-term relationship that I had that was called marriage. Yep. Yeah. Like we all do that. Definitely relate. I definitely can relate to that for sure. Um, so you put that record out. Um, obviously, you're probably in full force uh, with photography and film and stuff, like you described. Is that kind of what's going on at this point for you as well? Um, uh, let's see here. I think I was working at a. Well, I worked for at a high school that was all like special ed kids oh, wow. for seven seven years. That's cool. Six six years, seven years. And so I was doing that. Um, and then I was ended up in like the music department as a sign language interpreter, as helping some kids. Um, and I think my marriage fell apart around 2003 or four. Um, I think I was still doing music. Um, and then, you know, I was living in Long Beach and I was like, I need to get out of here and like work on life. Like I mm-hmm. something I need to figure some stuff out because I don't want to do this again. And it was just a terrible, painful, awful thing. And so that's about when I was like looking up to into moving into Seattle, up to Seattle. And so I'd known uh, Ed from Blenderhead and Matt oh, yeah. Jackson, um, because that first tour in 94 or nine, I think 94, we'd done some runs with uh, Blenderhead. And so I got to know them and kept in contact with them. And so I just contacted Ed and was like, Hey, I'm moving up here. And so he's like, you can move into my basement, you know, for 400 bucks a month. I was like, great. And so 
in 2005 in the summer, I was like, um, got my truck full of stuff and Matt's Matt Wignall's younger brother, Paul helped me move some stuff up and we drove up to Seattle and, and that's when I moved to Seattle and I joined a cult called Mars Hill. Oh, I, yeah, I, I've, I've heard of it. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, wow. Her angle and story. and What was that like uh, going to that in that time? I didn't realize you'd bring that up, but I'm just curious. What, what, what I mean, we don't have to go deep into it, but just yeah. what were your thoughts, um, you know, seeing that unfold? Well, I mean, at the time is, again, 2005, and, and I knew, like, two people, Matt and Ed. And so it was incredibly lonely and incredibly hard just to kind of start over somewhere and have all this, this is before I started therapy. So I had all this stuff in me just that I just was like, ah, I don't know how to deal with this. And I'd like be in Ed's basement, like pacing because I had so much anxiety and just like all this stuff. Wow. But anyways, I, you know, I was like, they were like, um, they were going, Matt was going to that church, him and his wife. And then, so I thought, well, you know, he's playing drums in there. And Jeff uh, Becker was, you know, it's where I met yeah. Jeff. And, and so I was like, all right, this is kind of vetted in a weird way. Yeah. And at the time it was like, okay, this is cool. Like, you know, it's this guy that's just kind of charismatic and funny and kind of a frat dude and like, whatever. It's like, this feels good. I liked the people a lot. It was more of the quote unquote alternative crowd and people smoked and whatever. It was fun. It was just like, it was fun. Met a lot of amazing people there. And, you know, eventually, uh, you know, as the story goes over the years, just more power and more people and more money and bigger business. And yeah, it just kind of crumbled. And, and, and I'd also, gotten married again within that system and i'd met you know i I had this i was kind of sold this like jesus is going to heal everything he's going to fix everything don't worry about it like he'll take care of it i was sold that like lie mm -hmm. and uh so in i got married in that system and you know it, it doesn't work like that it's yeah. like all the stuff and baggage when you get married that it comes up. And if you, if you can't just pray it away, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, I get it. you gotta, if you have major trauma in your life, like you gotta deal and work on that stuff and do the work. Like, yeah. you, like to, to kind of be like, just, I don't even know, confess or it's going to heal or whatever. And an important piece for me, I think that's, that I want to share is all this time, you know, I have this, we all have this beautiful part of us called sexuality. And um, the whole time I've been in the, was in the Christian kind of world and culture, it was a, always a very like oppressive, repressive, like, hey, don't touch yourself. Don't touch anybody else. Like, don't do this, don't do that. You know, when you get married, like have fun, do your thing. Mm -hmm. um, it was a very unhealthy view of sexuality that was direct and indirectly, you know, purity culture. It's yeah. that whole thing. And so, um, you know, in my second marriage, if somebody has like sexual trauma, it was just a roller coaster. You know, it's just like, a, oh, like, you know, I looked at some porn. I was on the couch for three days. It was just like, it was just this roller coaster of 
stuff as well as I need to confess. I was in these groups in these men's groups and it was just this crazy, um, super unhealthy shame driven Mm. system that I was in. And it was just killing me. It was just killing me. And again, we were both in the system when that Mars Hill collapsed, we moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado, but it's still, it's like all those remnants of that system were still there. And I just, we couldn't like get a grip on what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just became incredibly for me, like I was, it was really toxic and just like was, we just, you know, at the end of the day, it was like, man, we were not a good match. We thought Jesus would heal this stuff, Yeah, but it's not, um, we had two beautiful daughters out of this and I stepped out of that marriage. Um, my views and thoughts were changing about, um, my own, about, about sexuality, you know, um, during the end of that, um, it was, I started going to see a sex therapist and she was just like asking me pretty direct questions. And, and I didn't have answers to a lot of the quote unquote, you know, problems that I had. (laughs) And so, and I discovered people like Esther Perel and then, you know, read, I love audiobooks like come as you are. It's just like, there's all these like amazing people doing amazing work. And instead of like running away from my sexuality, I was like, all right, I'm going to turn towards this piece of me and like embrace it and take care of it. And all these hands and people that were in there saying, don't do this, do that. I was like, get the fuck out of here. Like, this is my sexuality and my, this is mine and nobody else can be in here. And so it was this really beautiful piece. And, and I was like, oh, like, this isn't, this is like a, um, you know, I still believe in like a God or something out there. And I was like, and we're created with this beautiful, amazing peace in all of us. Like, um, there's a, a professor that she explains it like sexuality is like as plain as the nose on your face. Like everybody has it. Like we all yeah. use, like smell with our noses. It's there. Yeah. And, and so, um, it was this transition and I was growing in this one, this, this way and my, you know, partner wasn't. And so it was like, what do we do with this? And it was causing her trauma to reignite and it was just this mess. Um, and so I'm in a different place now and I like myself <laughs> and, cool. you know, and I, you know, again, with my photography, I wasn't allowed to like shoot nude people. Women's bodies were quote unquote dangerous. Like, and it was just this message that was incredibly unhealthy and toxic. And so I started writing songs about it. What would, and again, expressing this through my music and the band cussing, which I'm now in. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. And then I was like, what would this look like to ex- do, you know, express this way in my photography. And so my therapist and I, we were like, talk that out. How am I going to feel? What am I feeling? All that stuff. And it was amazing. So I sh- um, shot a nude, I shot a nude person. <laughs> <laughs> I took pictures of a naked person and it was great. Amazing. Yeah. Ironically, somebody else who who had gone getting gotten out of Mars Hill too, and and she's you know on her own journey. But it was like it was great. And so my photography is evolving in this way of like you know, there's this piece 
that esteroperol calls like eroticism, which is, doesn't have anything to do with like sexuality or sensuality maybe, but it's just the stuff that makes you feel alive. Like, like what do we do in life that makes us feel alive? And we call that eroticism. And like music is like one of those things, you know? Mm, yeah. You know, and, and photography and these things that are just, that make life like um, passionate and, and worth living, so. Yeah. So when I'm playing music with Matt Johnson, um, who I think's one of the most amazing drummers I've ever seen, and my buddy Josh, who played bass in Page of the Lion, he plays guitar. Oh, okay. Um, and then this other gal, Alicia, she's playing bass. Like we practice every Monday night, and it's just incredible. That's like, awesome. Like I feel alive, and like I'm just like yes. You guys playing quite a few. I saw you. You had a couple shows recently, but are you guys planning on putting a record out or anything like that? Yeah, we recorded uh, probably six songs like a year ago, and so we're waiting to do another kind of batch. Uh, we're gonna do that in the fall. Um, and again, it's always it's tough to. This is a hobby, and we do it for fun. We do it because sure. we love music, and um, but it's always like uh, money. It's like how do we yeah. can't really afford to put a bunch of money towards a, a vinyl or anything. So we do have some free stuff on Bandcamp, but yeah, yeah. Um, has any labels kind of talked to you at all? Like uh, maybe kind of peek their heads around at all? No, not yet. I mean, there's a there's a label up here called Spartan Records that I'm. Oh yeah, I know John. Yeah. Like, that I'm like, oh man, that would be sweet to get on that label. That'd be a good fit. Dude. Yeah. Those are my thoughts, but I don't know about (laughs) their thoughts. Yeah, no, he's great. He's fantastic. Yeah, but I think it's an element, too, of, like, we need to kind of have these songs prepared and be like, hey, look at what we have. Here's, like, this finished kind of product. You want to put it out? (laughs) You know, John used to work at Tooth and Nail. Uh, You know, I I know he somehow is related to bands because he put out Doug's, you know, band. Yeah. Uh, Calm collapse. Yeah, yeah. I, I took the photos. Dude, then, that record's so good. <laughs> I, need, I I keep trying to get a get one. It's but. so good. I I got to meet them at a furnace fest last year. I was hanging out with Jonathan and um, got to meet Matt and Doug and it was awesome. Man, those guys are so cool. <laughs> like, oh yeah, super cool. You know the I'm 45, but like you know 17, 18 year old of me was just like freaking out, like just being around them. I know it's corny, yeah. but it's like. It was so cool. They were so sweet, and it was awesome. Yeah, those are they're good guys. Yeah, totally. And it was cool to see Roadside play again. They just, yeah, it was so good. Yeah, they they played a show like a kind of a warm up show here that I I videotaped it. <clears throat> excuse me, and have the audio. I just haven't put together yet. That's so cool. Well, so. get it together, bro. I want to see it. <laughs> so behind on so many. Inquiring minds are wanting to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny because like at that show, it was like the Seattle like legends were walking around like you know. Yeah. Dave, Dave I heard on. Enoch was there. Jeremy Enoch was there. Yeah. Like, this is sweet. Yeah, that <laughs> that is so cool, dude. It's insane. Yeah. It and that's something about Seattle too. It's like when I moved from Southern California. I came up to Seattle and I started going to shows. I was just like, whoa, the music, like, it is, like, up a notch somehow. Yeah. The writing and talent, I was just like, wow. That's really it. cool. Pacific Northwest, something about this place. I know, I know. Well, I know you can't 
predict the future, but I'd, I'd like to know what what the future looks like for you. Um, you know, maybe musically. And obviously, obviously, you have this anonymous um, photography thing going on. But what is what does the future look like for you? Yeah, I think um, something that I really try to be is again present and like authentic to who I am. And so, especially when you have kids, you know, my girls, I'm like time is ticking and they're going to be out of here in the blink of an eye. So I got to be present and then they're seven and nine and they're just, it's a blast. But I think for the future, it's like, you know, I think something that I, again, life is, life is short. Like I just, it's too short to not do and try and do what I love to do. And so music is one of them, you know, number one is like, taking care of myself, being a healthy person in my mind and in my body. Um, so I can be a good dad and be like present with people and, and engage people. I think that's important. You know, again, it's like that put on your oxygen mask first and then put on the other person's kind of thing. Simple, corny, but like very true. But I, I want to do something again. That's like meaningful, in my photography, you know, as a job, how do I do something that's meaningful, that helps people, that connects people, that is authentic and true to who I am? And so that's one I'm aspiring to do. I hope it works and takes off. I think it will. Um, and it feels right. <laughs> it feels very right. I'm going to keep, you know, music again. It's always been it's just a part of me and in my blood. So we're going to keep playing music. We have some really, you know, we have a show coming up. Uh, we have two more shows, and then Matt is going to Greece with his family to for three months. But, you know, I think uh, there's a rhythm that I really am enjoying right now that I like. You know, no one can predict the future, but I think it's going to be healthy and positive. I'll say that. That's awesome. Chris, I really, really appreciate you coming on my podcast. This has been a cool conversation. Uh, I know we didn't know each other, but I felt like I've known you for a bit. So I think this was really cool, and I appreciate your time, man. Yeah, yeah, likewise. I Thanks for letting me uh, say my piece. I think the part about, you know, again, the purity culture, and there's I'm not alone in that. I know there's a lot of people out there that have experienced a lot of shame and guilt and oppression, but... Um, there is freedom on the other side of really kind of embracing who you are. But, um, yeah, that was, a, that was, I had to do a lot of work. It's a long journey. Yeah, absolutely. But, man. Again, I can't, I cannot express, you know, when I found Esther Perel and her book mating in captivity and it just like exploded my mind in the best way. That's cool. Like where I like my girlfriend and I like went and saw her speak live, like at a kind of a, you know, where they have bands, like a big kind of the Paramount Theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm such a fan. So that's cool. Very cool. Chris, you're awesome. I really appreciate it, man. And uh, I'll, I'll let you know when I post this, but it's been an awesome combo, man. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate All it. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you to the listener for tuning in to this latest episode. Couldn't do it without you. Add me 
on Instagram and Facebook if you'd like, at the Rivers of Truth Cast. Like and subscribe if you'd like. You know the drill. Uh, thank you so much to Chris Bowden. What an incredible conversation. Um, really looked up to his music over the last uh, 20 years or so. So it was awesome to get to talk to him, know him, hear uh, his perspective on things. Um, thank you so much again, Chris. Uh, I've got some amazing guests on the horizon. Really am stoked about what's gone on. So thank you so much uh, for your time, guys. And man, nostalgia is still a heck of a drug. <laughs>